Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Fides Club, the show where we get people from around the world to tell you how they saw the news from the past month. This is episode number 47 for May 2012. Hello everyone and welcome to the Phileas Club. My name is Patrick Beja and this is the show where we get people from different parts of the world uh, to gather around once a month and give you their take on what's been happening in the past month. Uh, so you hopefully get a different view on the world events uh, every time and maybe get to uh, experience something new and wonderful and delightful. Um, that's usually what happens. I can't guarantee it's going to happen this month. Uh, I'm in the basement of my parents' house in the uh, French countryside, and we might get interrupted by screaming baby nieces and uh, possibly my <laughs> terrible cough. I was going to say cow. Um, and um, I, I, I understand that Maria, who's there with us too, is not in the best shape she's ever been because she's pregnant again. <laughs> hey, hey don't hold that against me <laughs> how's the the second pregnancy doing uh i i'm Go i'm on. wonderful i actually don't have any problems with this pregnancy i just have been working a bit much lately i've just started a new job at uh, the emergency room so i have long and late shifts see th there you go the swedish for you they get pregnant and they still go working on, you know, long and late shifts. And that's, <laughs> that's equality for you there. Very impressive. Um, uh, I'm checking my mic levels. I'm a little bit concerned that I'm not on the right one. Am I sounding good to you guys or am I on the outside mic? That's so say? subjective. <laughs> well, I, okay, from a podcasting professional such as you, Randy... I was expecting something a little bit more uh, constructive. No, I should be on the right one. I'm using the wonderful, uh, you know, $10, well, $20 uh, Apple uh, mics, which surprisingly work pretty well. Here's a little podcasting tip for you guys out there. Uh, if you don't have a mic, just use your iPhone and Skype, and uh, it works. Uh, Randy is also here on the show with us. Uh, he was actually here an hour early, because apparently... Yeah, uh, what is it, four years of doing podcasts with me is not enough to understand how time zones work? The the United States keeps shifting. You know, every every six months we decide we're going to just change the clocks. Well, that's what we do too. So we're actually always on the same uh No, you difference. do it at different times. Yeah, think, there's, you know? yeah, there's like a two-week lag where, you know, just to annoy everyone, we don't do it at the same time. Yeah. So, see, you came... Early and I'm I'm managing to find a way to to uh, hold it against you. <laughs> I'm yeah. really good. 
yeah, so you woke up super early, and uh, so thank you for that. You're, as uh, people probably already know, in the U.S., uh, in California. Yes. yes. And uh, the wonderful uh, voice that you heard a second ago is that of Kerwin. Uh, Hello again. also there with us, and who has a new mic. Yay yes. for Kerwin's new mic. <laughs> He's a lot of new everything, actually. Really? A new laptop as well, I believe, since the last time. Amazing. And a, and a, new, um, a new, how can we call it, uh, life schedule for the coming year, as I understand it. That's true. I'm going to be podcasting from a lot of very interesting places the next few months. Do you want to tell us a little bit about it before we get into the show? Or uh, I can. It's uh, 10 weeks in Lagos, 10 weeks in Accra. And ten weeks in Dakar. So and that what are, should take me to about Christmas. What are you going to be doing there? Interviewing businessmen. Uh, uh, see, it the... sounds a lot less adventurous all of a sudden. <laughs> when the the uh, the phrase Nigerian businessman means something very specific <laughs> to internet denizens. So I'm I'm fascinated now. It means something very specific to Nigerians as well. <laughs> <laughs> I think uh, they're all. Please in elaborate. <laughs> Nigerians, Nigeria has a reputation for internet scams that involve uh, antique princes who have large yeah, that's, billions. <laughs> that's what ah, we meant, I said. I, I'm really out. Bank yeah. accounts. Oh, you didn't realize that w- that's what uh, Randy was uh, referencing, Maria? No. Oh, it's the pregnancy. It doesn't. It's okay. It will. will you know. <laughs> Come on, <laughs> you're supposed to be a feminist, Patrick. Yes, I'm giving you crap because I know <laughs> that you know I'm a feminist. Um, all right. Uh, so, Kerwin, you're hopefully going to be able to join us for all those uh, from all those yes. exotic uh, locations in the future. As long as I have power. You mean like electric power, not that's light. right. Okay, not right. power to. <laughs> <laughs> that would be, you know, if you if you have that power, you definitely have to join us because I want to hear about that. Yeah. Um, all right. So um, I'm not the, uh, as I was saying, I'm not in, in super duper shape. But it's been a very busy month for, for me, uh, probably for Randy as well. Um, so I don't yes. know how accurate we are going to be on all the stories, but you know we were still That's going never to try. And... Us before. Yeah, exactly. There you go. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> and hopefully we will have fun in the process. Um, so for me, the main story of the um, of the the month was obviously the French election, which we've talked a little bit about next, uh, last month, uh, and I think we can talk about it again, uh, but maybe more briefly. And and see what happened in um, in in your your countries if you're uh, terrified at the arrival of the new uh, socialist uh, French president. <laughs> I'm guessing uh, Sweden doesn't mind all that much, but uh, yeah. So um, the as expected, basically uh, the socialist candidate uh, François Hollande won the election, and um, it was a clear win. Uh, Sarkozy made a very dignified uh, speech right after the election ended. That was in the beginning of the month, I think, the the 6th. And uh, so he's taken power around the middle of the month and he started... uh, There were a couple of funny stories, things like he took a jet uh, to get to uh, Paris 
and there was a lot of uh, um, reproach to Sarkozy because he was spending too much money or being too um, extravagant on some things. So a, a lot of people noticed that Hollande took a jet and, and no one said anything. I guess a few people did. Uh, so then he took a, um, a, a train to go to, to Brussels for a, a, a summit. And uh, then the train wasn't available when he came back, so he took a series of cars. And there was another <coughs> small controversy because they actually had to use to close down the whole train so that he could take it, so it didn't cost less or pollute less than a, 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 a jet. Or, so a, a couple of... It's still in the uh, funny stages uh, at this point. <laughs> um, and um, he, he nominated his first government. He... Uh, the, the, I mean, the government, he respected the equality of uh, men and women. Uh, he got a few very young people in there, young women uh, also. Um, and he reduced the salary of himself and all the, um, all the ministers uh, by 30%. He has more ministers than previous uh, administrations. So it doesn't, you know, it's still symbolically, it's a good thing. I mean, uh, overall, it's interesting because I think I, I, I believe I talked about the... Uh, adversarial aspect of the of the election before he was you know it was actually over it was extremely adversarial with a lot of uh, um, uh, very uh, venomous rhetoric against Sarkozy specifically and I think that after Hollande was elected all of that sort of faded away very very quickly and uh, I mean for myself at least I'm I'm very much willing to give uh, Hollande the you know the the his chance it's not like i've never made a secret secret uh, initial or others that i'm rather you know right uh, wing leaning but uh, it's not like i hate the guy i just uh, if he can prove himself and he if, i really want him to succeed and i really want him to do a good job so we'll see you know we've we've had a a number of years of uh, right wing government i thought they didn't do too bad, but uh, maybe left-wing is going to work too, so we'll see what happens. And I think it's a, a, a belief that is, uh, or a feeling that is shared by most of the country, uh, even the right-wing people. Of course, some people are going to say, you know, left-wing is going going to ruin the country, and it's... The, the last time that uh, there was a, a left-wing president, a socialist president, it was in 81, it was Mitterrand, and uh, two years after he got in power, he, he, the, the country got into such terrible shape that he, he had to reverse basically his whole uh, policy. But I think Hollande seems like a smart guy and there's what he says during the campaign and what he's actually going to do. And um, I don't know. We'll see. The, the biggest questions are on the EU level. So I guess uh, that would be a good point to, to bring the transition to uh, asking uh, Maria uh, what, if that was even followed in, in Sweden and what was the, the feeling. Of uh, course, the, we love Hollande. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> or, or, you oh my dirty God, socialist. feelings with the whole Swedish population. I'm <laughs> no, not sure. Go ahead. No, the Swedish let's press do. loves him. And, okay. uh, and uh, he feels like a fresh... Uh, new person, new actor on the EU scene and he his uh, uh, point of view at the, the big meeting uh, with Merkel and the other uh, EU leaders this week was uh, he was uh, perceived as, as uh, one of the strongest figures there mm -hmm. 
And you guys have a socialist government, right? No. At the moment, we have a right-wing government, but, right, uh, but Swedish it's right -wing, uh, so really basically it's, not doing it's very well. Okay. The, I, I always want to stop and define all these things for American <laughs> listeners. Well, I guess it's, it's uh, for, please ask. Away. I, I, I just mean that, that I, when, when, you know, Patrick says I'm kind of right wing leaning, I always want to stop and say, no, for our American <laughs> listeners, just want you to know in France, the difference between the right and the left is a very narrow compared to the yeah. United States. And, and it's also, you don't, you, our, you don't go from a right wing leader to a left wing leader and have them try to completely reinvent all of the law like you do in the United States. No, it's very um, it, it, as you're saying. You know, it's it's extremely. I mean, seen from the from the U.S. Uh, I I've said that a couple of times, but even the right wing government is you know pro social security, pro uh, unemployment benefits, pro free education. Um, so all of these are no question. Uh, right wing governments will enforce those as well. Um, where right, and they're even. They're, I, I would even say the differences are so narrow that the uh, amounts of money being spent aren't going to be very different. They're just going to have differences of opinion on what to spend the money on. More or less. I mean, there's been a, a drive to basically. That's one of the main things that opposes uh, Hollande and. Uh, Merkel, or should we say Merkel and everyone else almost in the, in the EU, um, they want, Merkel and others, a few others want austerity. They want to reduce spending as much as possible. Hollande and others want to, uh, you know, get us out of the crisis by spending and, you know, stimulating uh, growth. Uh, and uh, and and that, the economy. That's uh, quite interesting because because if you look, if you look in the Swedish uh, press, uh, we have been totally on uh, Angela Merkel's side mm -hmm. of the whole thing that you know reduce costs. Yeah. Uh, but now when this uh, when Hollande has made his entrance on the stage, uh, suddenly the opinion has switched, and now really? everybody's <laughs> writing about this brilliant new idea about spending yourself out of the crisis. Well, the problem is. What one of the elements of spending yourself out of the crisis is that um, one of the elements of his policy is going to be not, you know, not reducing spending and actually increasing spending on the government level, which raises a few eyebrows in in France and I'm sure in other places. But I guess if you're going to spend, you're going to spend. But uh, he wants to. One of the main um, adversarial points of his campaign was the fact that he wants to hire 60,000 um, teacher or education professionals in five year, within the next five years, 12.5K uh, a year. And um, Sarkozy has reduced the number of uh, uh, government employees and he wants to increase that. So obviously it's not... And the way he's going to do to pay for it is to increase taxes, obviously. So, yeah, it's it's definitely that is something that a, a, a socialist government would do in France that a right wing government would not necessarily be leaning towards to. So, in that sense, we find the the usual pictures that we have in other countries. Um, so yeah, yeah Maria, and, sorry. And you, when you, I you, come on this show and I say that I'm I'm more left winged. Um, when I discuss uh, things with Patrick, I have re come to realize that we are actually very close uh, in our political views. Uh, 
It's just that yeah. what it's, he considers right-wing in France is almost left-wing in Sweden. Yeah, yeah exactly. That's one another thing that I often, often uh, comment on, which is, the right wing i mean in my opinion at least i'm sure other french people would see things differently but i think they they're mistaken um the right wing i mean france is very much to the left in general of the eu political spectrum so our left wing is much to the left of every other left wing uh, party in europe and our right wing is probably you know to the left to of to the center of the the <laughs> other countries you know they would be considered center center definitely and and yeah. our right wing are definitely more right wing than yours so. mm. okay <laughs> they're also small tiny <laughs> you mean like in stature <laughs> like they're small people or no okay uh kerwin you've been silent french you you know the you, the, the the english have been laughing at us for many you know any reason they can find because they hate the french anyway right Probably. Okay. I don't know. I guess I uh, certainly the financial sector has a lot to say about it. Um, there's a they're panicking, know, aren't they? The, well, there's a lot of people who think that it's just a it's a crazy choice to to bring in socialism and bring in the levels of expenditure that uh, Hollande is uh, talking about. Um, and then there are a few other people who say, no, he'll be fine. He won't be able to do anything without the German treasury okaying it anyway. Mm. This is sort of the, uh, you know, this is a fairly elitist view, which assumes that everything is uh, played out behind closed doors. And yeah. he can say one thing to the public when he's, uh, um, you know, in the Elysee, he has to negotiate with Merkel on a much greater level than than people will expect and it'll be up to her a lot of the changes that he makes you know depending well, on how she, merkel wants to finance the uh, stabilization of the eu yeah there's uh, the i mean merkel has been in in a very tough position as well um in the recent weeks so yeah that's true it, she's it, losing popularity in her own country yeah. isn't she I mean, every government that was in place when the crisis hit has been <coughs> ousted very, you know, clearly. So it's possible that she will too. But uh, there's this big story about the euro bonds, which I'm not sure I understand uh, exactly. I believe they want to basically, um, how do you call it, merge the, the European debt with euro bonds and ask people to buy euro bonds to finance, you know, the, the, the euro, basically. And people, some people think it's, it's, a, it's a, uh, a good idea. And some people think it's a bad idea. I, I'm not, it's been explained to me by clever people a couple of times. Right. Uh, I'm not sure I understand it completely. Do any of you guys have... But this idea. is where we start peddling inaccuracies to our yeah, there listeners, you go. isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> so no one has any idea what the Eurobonds actually do. I don't know, but it's a great name. I mean, it sounds great. <laughs> I, I'd, I'd buy them. <laughs> All right. So um, the, the, the little uh, bit that I understand um, is the idea that you get uh, – Bonds, you know, it's the same as government bonds, but on an EU level. So you would just uh, uh, keep the, the the zone in a stable, you know, the, the currency in a stable state because you you uh, sell them and guarantee them through bonds. So that's something that I'm not certain everyone is agreeing on. That would uh, help get money into the EU and maybe help, you know, the Greece, which is financing the Greece, 
Greek debt, which is uh, a, a terribly uh, important topic at the moment. Uh, I believe there's also the topic of um, of um, uh, deflation, uh, inflation, and one of the ways to alleviate the debts would be to inflate uh, the 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 currency. Because obviously, if the currency is worth less, you're, you still owe a thousand euros, let's say. Um, but it's easier to, but it's, to, to pay off. Yeah, exactly. Because there's inflation, you, you, your salary and prices, uh, let's say, get raised by 10% every year. That's just a number. And, but, so the thousand euros that you owed are easier to pay off. And that's something so that, that, of course, it has disadvantages because, for example, people who have uh, stable you know, income that are, are not going to be raised, like re- retire, retirees, uh, retired people, uh, they yeah, have a stable, retirees. you know, retirees, they have a stable amount that is going to come every year. It's the amount that they're supposed to get. So if you do inflation, then you screw them over. But yeah, so that's another topic that is being uh, discussed. I believe the the uh, Germany does absolutely not want to hear about it, but... Well, it's a traumatic subject for them. I mean, yeah. they, they still uh, remember all the lessons of the hyperinflation in the in the Weimar years. It's really something that you can't talk about in the country, yeah. really, I believe. It, it could so, be a, an easy solution, though, so I don't know. Yes. The other thing that it's very difficult to talk about Germans with is the idea that... Uh, the German economy is benefiting from the low euro right now yeah. and that they're being able to export greatly. Whenever you bring that up, they always come back with, no, it's the high quality of our tech industries and, yeah. and the fact that we can sell things that no one else in the world can. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, uh, I don't know. I, I found it funny recently um, how they get a bit jingoistic about that. There are some moderate Germans who understand that they're 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 – as a country, they're in it together with the rest of the Eurozone, and they're benefiting from uh, from that partnership. Uh, maybe that maybe they don't believe they're benefiting from that partnership as much as they're giving to it. Yeah, but but they there are some moderate Germans who get it. <laughs> Thank God. Um, uh, another word on the eurobonds. Um, the word I was looking for was mutualization. I don't know if it actually exists in English, but it does in French. Does. Uh, it does. Okay, thank you. So basically, you, you get all of the debt of all the European countries together, um, and you tr- transform them into bonds, and so the the risk is leveled on the EU level, uh, and that's what I was trying to explain in a very poor uh, manner. Maybe and, uh, then you could re-slice them into different combinations, so then you can sell off the, you know, the, the premium tranches with the subprime grid tranches <laughs> and call it all you know, AAA rated. I think call, that we, is we a great We call it the idea. Americanization of <laughs> European debt. How's that? Yeah. Interesting. I wonder, I wonder if there would be much a uh, – I would love to see that experiment. I'd like to see just how much – uh, investment that comes from which parts of the world in, yeah. in that experiment? Well, the thing is, it, there's no clear solution, right? It's The crisis is still there, and uh, the situation in Greece is still absolutely terrible. Uh, and there's no easy I think easy we have reached there. a point when everybody's agreeing on what we have tried to do so far is not working. It's not working at all. So now we have to think about uh, solutions and think about outside the box. Yeah. So the I guess the question is what 
is the solution people are going to gravitate towards. Um, And in France, at least, it looks like we're going to be pushing towards uh, spending ourselves ourselves out of the uh, crisis. We'll see what happens. Um, I I mentioned uh, Greece uh, for a second there, and obviously that has also been a huge topic uh, in in France. I'm wondering if it was, I mean, I'm sure in the UK and Sweden uh, it was as well, right? Yes. Yes. Was definitely. what? <laughs> uh, Greece, Greece, and the crisis, yeah, yeah, and the uh, so 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 they got uh, a new election, uh, right? They got an election, and they didn't manage to form a government out of the election because no one had the majority. And the problem is still uh, today, at least that's my feeling, that the Greeks. That That is going to sound terrible, but that's really my assessment of the situation. They don't want to take responsibility for the situation that they're in. And certainly others have a, a part, you know, partial responsibility for it. Uh, but I think that by, you know, cutting the debt in half and helping by giving billions over and billions of, of euros is taking responsibility. And the other part, you know, the other half of the responsibility is that they haven't been ta- paying their taxes because they do everything under the table and and the country, the, the structure of the country is terrible. And uh, there was a, a comment just this week, uh, this weekend, I believe, um, by uh, Christine Lagarde, who's the new uh, uh, IMF uh, director, um, who said... The Greeks need to, basically what she said, they need to shut up, buckle up and start paying their taxes because we have actual people in, you know, poor African countries that actually have problems and that need our help. So we're not going to bail out the Greeks and they need to shut up and, and do something I, about their situation. So I don't know. Nurse, no, you're, you're not happy analogy. with that. Can I just put in something here yeah yeah yeah. i i feel there is in such i mean average greek person is in such uh, poor situation right now so it's a little bit like telling uh, the guy on the table that is having a heart attack that you know you should really cut down on smoking and you shouldn't have (laughs) drank all those drinks and you shouldn't eat all that fatty food but i mean we need to give him cpr now you know so this is all, all well, that guess, is in the past. I guess that's, yes, that there, that's definitely true. But the thing is, the CPR has been administered, for, if we keep with that analogy, which I'm sure yeah. is going to break <laughs> down horribly in a couple of seconds. Um, the CPR was cutting the debt in half and sending billions and billions of money in help. Uh, at one point, you know, it... Okay, I don't know exactly how much the Greeks, the average Greek person is getting um, in, in, you know, monthly salary if they're a government employee, for example. Or, but if they have enough to eat some kind of food and have shelter, then they have enough to live, to live you know? It's not like they're dying diseased in the streets. Um, so if they do have a, a, a large part of responsibility in this crisis, which is what I've been led to believe, maybe I, you know, I, I, I'm mistaken, um, maybe it would be worth hunkering down and saying, okay, we're going to get through this. It's going to be a horrible five years and we're going to get through it because we're going to be cutting down and everyone is going to start paying their taxes and, and living on ridiculously low amounts of money. Um, and we're going to get through it. 
So yeah. the definition of a successful state is wherein the state has a monopoly on the use of force. And ultimately, if you have a trend toward people not paying taxes, you also have a trend toward the failure of a state because at some point, there's this tipping point where there are so many people refusing to pay their taxes that that includes the people who would enforce that, the people who would literally go point a gun at someone and say, you're going to jail unless you pay your taxes, are themselves not willing to pay their taxes. I'm not sure and where you're going with this. I'm I'm saying that <clears throat> that ultimately if if you're past that point, you have to have an external agency come in and do something. There there mm-hmm. is some point where there is such a uh, a failure in the entire country to bring itself together that you're not going to be able to just talk them into all changing what they're doing. There's too I many suppose. of them yeah. in the trend. I guess so. Uh, the thing is here, it's not just about the country itself. It's also about the stability of the U- the Eurozone in general. And I think what a lot of people are saying if we're talking about the past is, you know, we should have never accepted, uh, you know, we should never have gotten Greece and Spain and, and Portugal into the EU to begin with because their economies weren't, you know, sound. Um, but... It, now, there is this issue that we, as Europeans, can't really afford to... It, it, we're not going to send in the army, right? We're not going to, say, send in you know, armed people to make them pay their taxes. We, they then, have to do then it. The, then the only other option is everyone pays higher taxes. Everyone the, yeah. in the entire eurozone. Well, no, that's not going to happen either because it's already <laughs> happened. Sorry, it's already it's already been. We're at a point now. I again, this is my analysis of the situation. Now, I think it's rep- representative of the uh, a part of the French population. Uh, there are a lot of people, especially in the left wing, who say, "Ah, oh, poor Greek, you know, population. They're they're being crushed by the weight of liberal capitalism, and it's horrible, and we should." I don't know really what their solution is. You know, maybe they should say we should give them more money and forget all of their debt and and just let them keep going what they're doing. But that, to get back to Marie's lovely um, uh, uh, image. Well, he do have they to would, stop drinking yeah, all exactly. and That's smoking as well. Otherwise, he would just have another heart attack. So. Exactly. So at some point, they have to start, you know, doing what they're supposed to do. And I don't feel like there is, you know, in this 12-step programs, usually you have a point where you have to recognize what the problem is. And the main gripe here is I believe that they're not recognizing what the problem is. They're not understanding that they have at least a part of responsibility in this. That's, again, my my image of the whole thing. Uh, Kerwin, you're being very silent. How, how do you... The... This, uh, this has been explained to me in a particular way by um, a, a Greek friend, which is that... And he's someone who is... Um, mixed ethnicity as well. So he kind of moved to Greece as a teenager, I believe. So he kind of, his his education was there, but he can see it somewhat as an outsider, some as an insider. And what he thinks is that because Greece is uh, maybe not quite as badly as Italy, but in some ways it's it's a new country uh, that uh, does not have the strong sense of um, statist nationalism 
of which French is perhaps mm. the most superlative example. So the, there's a Greek people that's always been there, but the state, the idea of the state being the the possession and the um, the ward of the Greek people is not so strong. Mm. So when the Greek government does something irresponsible, the Greek people don't feel responsible for their actions. They see right. them as a separate entity. Mm. So that also goes to why they don't pay taxes, because they have a like a, uh, a basic mistrust of the government to begin with. I mean, the US has the same thing for, for a lot of people. Um, but I, see, I, I guess... There are a lot of people who will say economically they're going through a crisis and politically there's something of an awakening happening in Greece so that the way that they are sort of coming together and forming a this sort of status nationalist, uh, nation, um, national identity, this idea that collectively they're going to come together and uh, do something about what their government is doing. Now, they might be doing the wrong thing to begin with or what, mm. um, but, but there's could there's be, a sense the of turning uh, point. This this might be the turning point in the Greek people taking yeah. responsibility for their government in a way they didn't believe they had to before. Right. Yeah, and it's true. I'm being a little bit knowingly flip flippant and flip about it, and, and I'm saying, oh, they should just you know just pay their taxes and that's it. And so I understand it's a very difficult situation. It's a horrible situation, and it's not. It's not an easy situation in the sense that, as you're saying, Kerwin, the, the realization of all of this might be coming from the, this crisis. And it's not going to happen in a couple of days or weeks or months either. So maybe now is what the, the process that they're going through is going to lead them eventually to actually having that that understanding of a modern democracy and the meaning of a modern democracy, if that is indeed is, is the case, that they don't feel that the government is a representative of, the, a representative of their identity, mm. maybe that is going to bring that and it's going to take, you know, a couple of years. So, I don't yeah. know. We'll see. Yeah. And then there's also a lot of commentators, um, obviously more left-wing side, that are saying the fact that they are resisting the diagnosis and the prognosis of the European Union and the German government and the IMF is also uh, a great victory for um, socialism or you know the yeah. capitalist and globalization movement. It's the first place where people have really thrown off this idea that finance rules and yeah. things like that. Yeah, there's definitely something to that effect in in um, in France too. The problem with all this is that you don't really see a, a, a credible solution coming out of those ranks. At least I don't see it. It might be there, but you know, in the case of Greece specifically, I don't know what they can do. That you know, if you're saying okay, let's not take the money from from the EU or let's make all of the responsibility barren by the EU, I'm not sure exactly how that, you know, the solution comes out of that analysis. But Well, there's another side to this, which I'm sort of surprised no one's mentioned it yet. And maybe this is an indication that it's much more of interest in the UK, which is the idea of Greece leaving the euro. Yeah, We're all talking it's been... about how the debt is going to be restructured, but here there's a lot more talk. Well, and it's partly the fact that the UK is not in the euro, so it can glib about those who are. 
Yeah. But the UK perspective a lot of times seems to be, well, just leave quickly and yeah. get it over and done with and then we'll worry about fixing up the economy once it's got its own yeah. you know, um, fiscal policy under its own control. So that's interestingly enough, there, that's something that has been mentioned, you know, in a hush hush tone um, many it's times. Become it's become really less hush hush in the mm. UK, I think. <laughs> and Paul Brookman as well in, in New York, yeah. uh, he wrote a 200, like only 200 word post uh, last week saying, this is, we've been talking about this and this is how we decided the end game is going to play yeah. out. Greece leads the Europe in the next two days, yada, yada, yada. That was, you know, he thought it would be happening as quickly as that. And I think people in the UK are expecting it to sort of happen every day. Yeah. I think they're sort of expecting that to happen as fast as bankruptcies occur in New York and London, that kind of thing. Well, the For thing is... I have a question. I know, yes. I, I know that there are some in England who read Brueggemann. Do you think that, that he gets any, any press across Europe? Not in France. I don't know about you. He's definitely a known entity in the UK, but then I'm also based at a place where he used to work and teach, where his name is even more known. But I would say most people, even when we go to uh, offices and engineers and like that, if I am trying to talk about the sort of blogosphere, um, Paul Krugerman isn't a name I can refer to to, to talk about a specific type of blog. Mm. There's there's definitely a, a language bar- barrier in in France. I'm sure I, I, I'm sure the economists will, you know, know and reference and and read Krugman, but in France also, I mean. But in general, um, you don't see a lot of people un- even understanding the outside view of the economy. France is very much ruled by France. And the way we view things is informed by our analysis. And you have very few people who get informed, um, who get educated on other people's views. And I think that's why a lot of people believe that the French right wing is very much right wing. And, and you know, that that kind of, con- of misconception about the French political and economical, um, economic background uh, but to get back to the idea of the of Greece leaving the eurozone, uh, mm-hmm. when I'm saying hush hush tones, it's basically it's it's an, an eventuality which is seen as far in the distance, and we're not there yet. And it, it's also seen, I believe, as that would be abandoning them. Uh, and of course, it would be a bad thing for Europe in general because it means that the eurozone is kind of unstable. I mean, if, who else would would be taken out after that it it we would much 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 rather it would make the the uh, financial aspects of uh, the eu a little bit more uh, sound but at the same time it would mean that people can get out of the eu and that means that we don't yeah. know what would happen next so in that sense it would come mm. bring a little bit of instability and it also again i'm honestly i think there's a feeling of we, that would mean we're abandoning Greece because if they're out, then we don't really care anymore. You know, they go back to the drachma and or whatever their money was, and yeah. that's it. Whatever. You do whatever you want. And we don't want to do that, I don't think. We want to save them in spite of themselves almost. We're, we're, it's not like if they leave the EU, that's a feeling that I think maybe they have and some people have out elsewhere. 
they're like, oh, the EU is the cause of all our ills, and if we leave, everything's going to be great. And mm. that, nothing could be further from the truth, at least in my opinion. You know, what are they going to do that is magically going to make everything great if they leave? The situation is going to be the same. They're still going to have no money, and the economy is still in the toilet, so they're not going to have any tourism, which is the backbone of their economy. Um, so, yeah. I, I guess the UK perspective, and I think it's interesting how different the media really are in our two countries, but here the perspective is if they go out of the euro, they've got their own economy, on the interest rate policies and everything else under their own control, um, and they're not... Uh, having to play to the interest levels set by Germany and France and the other big economies in the Eurozone. Obviously, they would have so more the, flexibility. So it's, it's getting talked about here as a sort of... Um, in, you're saying it's a, it's a sort of perhaps an inevitable far-off thing. Here it's something that's considered inevitable and it's believed that the Eurocrats are working on it right now mm. to work out as quickly as possible how to help Greece leave the right. Eurozone as gracefully as possible. Yeah. And it's seen here as, as probably a good thing, of course, not by those people who have kind of personal connections to Greece who are yeah. really worried about the capital flight and things like that, which is, which is true. There is a lot of capital flying out of, of Greece now yeah. and launching yeah, in other currencies. Yeah. I, don't, I mean, certainly they would have more independence in, in the way they want to fix their economy, but the economy is still in the toilet and it's not like the things they're complaining about, the people are complaining about, meaning they have you know, cut down on, on their salaries when they're, you know, and unemployment and things like that, that is not going to get fixed if, if they leave the EU. So it's still going to be a very difficult couple of years or five years or whatever it ends up being. But, uh, uh, Randy, any last thoughts on uh, Greece and our Eurozone? No, we've okay. talked about it way too long. Okay. <laughs> You're American, aren't you? Um, <laughs> let's talk about gay homosexuals instead. Um, there's a, a line in our uh, show notes that says gay marriage. And I think it's uh, been an item in the U.S. So, Randy, are you the one who added it? or I did not. Okay. But I think I, it was I'm happy to... me who added it. Okay. Well, let's, let's discuss. Uh, Kerwin, please let us know what's been happening with gay homosexuals who have sex with other people of the same gender. <laughs> As opposed to all those other kind of homosexuals who, uh, I don't know. I'm playing to our... Lock you know. themselves in uh, loveless <laughs> marriages or hide under yeah. long frocks and all the rest of it. Exactly. Uh, I they put it in there, but it was partly because of the announcements made in the US and partly of the way they seem to ripple around the world. It turned it into, a, from my perspective, a global debate for a moment because, so Biden made his announcement, uh, Obama that was Biden, making his announcement. Biden is gay? Okay, so, no, uh, wait. Hold, hold, so, the, the, <laughs> you know, we're talking about the month of May and there was definitely an uptick in yeah. in discussion and in in politic about this subject and it started 3 weeks ago when on a weekly news uh television show that is is very uh consistent in the United States called Meet the Press uh yeah. the vice president of the United States in 
an interview with the host of that show just sort of blurted out, and he's known for uh, going places that that interviewers don't expect. Just just said we you know we need to uh, support same sex marriage. This this needs to be something that the national discussion gets passed, and we get on to uh, guaranteeing this uh, equal right for homosexuals in the United States. And that that in and of itself isn't terribly controversial, but it was you know the first time that a vice president level uh, official in the United States had ever said something like that publicly. And then uh, a few days later, that means there are people in the White House press asking the president uh, to uh, to speak on such things, and he did, and he he said a lot of the same stuff. So, so what? I noticed was that um, it set off a debate in Australia again, um, <laughs> where two thirds of the country support it, and the left wing, the Labor Prime Minister, who is an unmarried woman uh, with her male partner, it's the first sort of de facto couple um, in our in our government. Uh, she still refuses it. And Australia not only makes it impossible for Australian citizens to marry in Australia, it also makes it difficult for Australian citizens to marry uh, overseas if it's going to be a gay, gay marriage, which is one right? step further. That's right. And that's one step further than a lot of other countries will go. Even the US allows its uh, gay citizens to marry abroad if they want, I believe. Yes. The other place that I noticed was that uh, from the Philippines, Manny Pacquiao, who is you know the greatest boxer pound for pound in the world today and he's won seven weight division titles and he's become a congressman in the Philippines but he's also famous for being a very devout catholic and he instantly came out against gay marriage um and that made news in the Philippines so it i think it really resonated around the world uh so it's never really been a global um topic i don't think but perhaps this has turned it into one. Mm. Um, Maria, you're, you know, from liberal Scandinavia. And well, gay marriage is, is legal here. Uh, I was so. going to make, I was going to do a great intro by saying that, you know, everyone's gay in your countries and like you, you all, you're all gay and, and homosexuals. And I was half expecting you to tell me that you're gay or something, but you ruined it. <laughs> So, We're uh, all a little bit gay, isn't that the answer? Yeah, I think, you know, I I really love that. Uh, I I can't remember who said it, but there was some someone somebody who who posited that basically everyone, no one is a hundred percent straight or a hundred percent gay, and you know you'll have like ninety percent and and ten percent of one and the other, or you know somewhere in the middle. And I I really love that that. Image. I think there's a lot of truth to it, but um, I believe so too. Yeah. Um, but I, I'm curious because I mean, we t we take this as yeah, it's a basic human rights. Of course, you should be able to marry whatever sex you are. But uh, I'm actually not sure. Is gay marriage okay in France? <laughs> is it okay? Um, <laughs> is it gay marriage? No, it's not. It's not legal. It did um, have a little bit of play in the campaign. Uh, a few people did discuss it when uh, Obama. Uh, mentioned his uh, his well said what he said um, and um, it, it's it, the right wing I mean Sarkozy was against it 
uh, and Hollande is for it. So there's a chance that it will go through during his administration. Um, and I don't know. I mean, it's it's still being debated. I. It's funny when this whole... I'm going to go very personal here. Um, when this whole debate happened it a, a few years ago, I mean, it's cyclical. It comes uh, back every every few, few years. Um, I remember asking myself the question, you know, I, I was... Um, I'm obviously, obviously, I don't know. I'm, I have no problem with gay people. And I think, you know, I have a lot of, not a lot. I have a few gay friends. Um, I'm, I, but I wasn't sure, you know, as long as you have, there was this question that I believe a lot of people are asking themselves. If you have a civil union, which we do, um, that gives you the same rights as marriage. How, why is it a big deal that you would want to get, the same kind of union with the word marriage on it, especially if, you know, it's probably not going to happen in a church, even if, you know, the state is going to say it's okay to get married, but to get married, but you're not going to get your marriage in a church, probably not, especially in France where it's mostly Catholic and you don't have those weird Protestants that do whatever they want by, you know, on a church by church basis. Um, so I was wondering, you know, what's the big deal with the word marriage? And I spent a little bit of time thinking about it, trying to decide whether or not I was for or against gay marriage. Um, and small uh, aside point, I remember when I first started um, uh, getting a little bit of a name as a podcaster, uh, I purposefully didn't say anything about myself and my sexual orientation. I, I didn't talk about girlfriends. Oh, I thought you were gay for sure. <laughs> I don't know why. Uh. I don't know why. But I remember that a few people asked the question, Maria, maybe you can, you know, tell me, why did you think I was gay? A lot of people thought so. Because I'm, you know, so good looking and, and uh, elegant. I think you implied it. I think that was kind of a joke uh, in it. And, and, and there was some, you know... Yeah. between you and Scott that kind of implied that right. you were. Yeah, maybe so you that was weren't it. really sure. Yeah, and I, and I never... So that's what I mean. I, I purposefully didn't clarify anything. And it, there was some joking about, you know, something like that. So I, I, that's to say, I was wondering, you know, I was trying to decide for myself about the gay marriage issue, but I was definitely not, you know, I was more than... than <laughs> doesn't mean anything to say pro-gay, but I'm very okay with, with homosexuality in general. I think it, you know, I'm not at all someone who would think homosexuals, you know, are an aberration of nature or, or anything like that, or even that they make me an uncomfortable. I, I'm completely but, the opposite. But why are and you still... saying that, that the homosexual marriage wouldn't happen in a church? In Sweden, it happens in the church all the time. Because you're weird and Protestants, and you have gay <laughs> Protestant, you know, priests. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and, um, and so anyway, so I was trying to decide, and uh, what I, the conclusion I came down to, and that's, you know, my explanation for it, I made a blog post on, on my blog at the time, um, is that marriage is sort of, the idea of marriage is sort of a, an innate uh, feeling in the human race. Because the, you have that feeling that sometimes you love someone and you want to be united and you want to declare your undying love to that person and you want to show it and and you know have that 
that uh, uh, that that feeling labeled basically, and it just happens that the label we've chosen for that universal feeling is the word marriage. So, if you say we're civilly civilly unionized, <laughs> uh, united, <laughs> um, you're sort of using a different word than the word that's universally and and socially accepted for that relationship. Uh, so the same way that, you know, it's a little bit of an extreme example, but you could have a bus for black people and a bus for white people. It, you're still getting on the bus and you're still getting mm-hmm. to the place you want to be, you want to get to. What does it matter? Well, but it's in, all about you know, equality. Yeah, exactly. It? It's, it's not, if you have to label it differently, then it means that you feel differently about that, that thing. And in the, in this case, I think that the, the, the relationship is universal. And if you think that someone, a, ma- a man or a woman, can love a man or a woman, you know, in the same way that you love your wife or, or husband or whatever, then you have to, you know, probably I would say, my opinion is, you have to agree that, that you can label their relationship as a marriage. Because that's the, the way we've agreed to call it. And it doesn't matter that the church or, you know, whoever sort of co-opted that word, that, that term, and said, nope, that word only applies to men and women, and you can have your word. It doesn't matter that they said that first, because the word has been decided to apply to that type of re- relationship. So anyway, that's, would, that's how I decided I'm, I'm to. I'm very curious. The, uh, there, there was some group that said, and the white bus must be painted white, and the black bus must be painted black and we're going to not allow you to ever paint the black mm. bus white that you you start seeing all sorts of differences yeah and and yeah. there's and and the problem is you can't come up with a good reason why you shouldn't be able to paint the black bus white there's well, no the, like, we're just inventing reasons there's the, not the an actual reason, reason to the, stand on the core mm. reason behind all of this is that Deep inside, if you get to the core of it, is that you feel differently about the person in the black bus and in the person in the white bus. You know, you, you consider them a little bit differently. And that's, I, I believe it also applies to uh, this question of gay marriage. But um, sorry, Maria, you were going to ask the question. No, I'm, I'm just curious to ask Randy, uh, what kind of political ramifications this, I mean, what did it do to Obama's ratings that he made this statement? Not much. Um the United States is in a is in a pretty set uh, pattern as far as the populace goes. There are uh, we could really we could have the election tomorrow. There there's there's not going to be much uh, shift in in any sort of uh, votes. There there's a there's a percentage that any time they are asked to uh, to name his popularity or the likelihood they're going to vote for him. They always give the lowest rating. They they would vote for anyone other than Obama. That's a set percentage. It's not changing. So it doesn't matter whether he whether he comes out in favor of things that they don't favor. They're mm-hmm. already okay. set. All well, he can the- do is at this point is either increase the the likelihood of the rest of the country going and voting for him or decrease it. And mm-hmm. I thought it was it was pretty ballsy to uh to do this now with a, an election in a few months that, uh, that really uh, i think there are a lot of people who said that that it means a lot more 
to take a stand before everybody judges you at the polls mm. than after. It's mm. been it, – well, it is. But it, I've heard an interesting analysis of this on, on the French uh, – uh, in the French media, which was actually um, Mitt Romney is very much to the left of the of the uh, Republican yes. Party, right? So he's yes. almost in the center. So by taking that stance, what Obama and Biden are doing is they're forcing Romney to take a stance to you know to dive farther at the right of the Republican Party, thus sort of asphyxiating his likely center or left-wing votes and and forcing him to be really re- republican and it's kind know, of been the story of his whole candidacy isn't it well, well and, I, and I his response has been to do day. nothing i'm sorry uh, romney's response has been to do nothing to so not say, stake out a strong position he's been asked and, i'm guessing yes and and, and so uh, you know, he he's going to say, I, I favor the status quo. We've got mm. bigger issues to talk about, this sort of right. thing. And uh, it's it's a fairly smart strategy, but it's not winning him any votes. Like I say, you're well, it's not you're losing either, him votes either. Right. You're, but but between now and, and the election, you're either saying and doing things that cause people to leave the house and go vote for you or you aren't. Mm. And uh, Obama, uh, I think Obama took a took a little bit of a calculated risk and he's been a masterful calculator uh, as a politician um this this issue though uh it isn't just uh relegated to uh presidential politics and the question of when will the united states ever federalize same-sex marriage it will eventually uh the the, the issue is all over the states in the united states and and you have states that are uh, that have state governments that are far to the left of others where uh, same-sex marriage is being implemented in various ways. And then you have states that are going to the polls every weekend and voting on measures to uh, to reinforce their anti-same-sex marriage laws that they already have. Yeah. And and that's that's very interesting. It's interesting to see the United States fracture over that issue mm-hmm. And you, you have a, a situation now where you can literally drive from one state to the neighboring state, California to Arizona, and the rules change dramatically based on your sexuality. Hmm. Interesting. Uh, Kerwin, any last words on the gay marriage question that you brought up? Well, it's something I can really talk about for a very long time. Um, <laughs> well, so, I mean, there's, there's you one have th- two and a half minutes. Go. Okay. Well, uh, there was one thing that I think, I mean, I I agree with a lot of what's been said, but there's another sort of more abstract or theoretical way that I've been looking at it, which is that, you know, we've, uh, we've constructed an idea that marriage has to be about love when the reality is there can actually be many, uh, motives for marriage, uh, historically, uh, and certainly lots of different motives for heterosexual marriages, and there might be just as much diversity with um, uh, homosexual marriages, I think that the, a different way to look at it is to say, what does it mean for the extended families? And what I mean by that is that there's sort of three ways to expand an wait, extended wait, wait. family. Wait, wait, wait. You go from gay marriages to three ways? 
Now you're, you know, pretty <laughs> soon you're going to be talking. Okay, sorry. Yeah. So basically the first way is you can be born into a family. The second way is you can marry into it. And the third way is you can be adopted into it. So does, do any of these really need to be gendered or be based on any traditional or social roles or anything like that? You could be really theoretical about it and say, well, adoption is to bring someone into a family in a hierarchical relationship and a marriage brings someone into a family in a, a peer-to-peer relationship. So you could, you know, if you were a straight man, you could marry a woman uh, for the convenience of, um, you know, supporting each other's children or forming a platonic household or something like that. Um, why might that not be possible in a gay marriage as well if you have um, two people you're... who are not necessarily in love with each other but who uh, need companionship, who one might have children from other marriages or something like that, bring them into uh, your immediate family, bring them into your extended family. Um, You're stretching it though. You're going to the really theoretical level. I I mean, so that's one thing that one thing I was thinking about. And then today I was talking about this with a friend and she really brought home with a very different point of view, which is that all the discussion of marriage um, ends up becoming uh, such a narrow thing to focus on that we end up distracted from what she sees as the larger issue, which is a culture of intolerance. I get all kinds of things, but homosexuals and homosexuality in particular, but that the the sort of the intolerance and the um, xenophobia uh, towards gays, which plays out in many different ways other than just whether or not they can marry, is something that we ought to be addressing as societies. Uh, and we don't when we narrow the argument just to whether or not civil union is enough, whether it should go to marriage, etc., etc. So, and she's drawing from one journalist who said, uh, never forget that this is not about gay marriage, it's about Bradley Manning which is a very strange place to take it. I don't know if everyone remembers, but Bradley Manning was the... the um, the soldier who uh, gave all of the documents to WikiLeaks, all of the diplomatic cables, and it's imputed that his uh, sexuality was part of the issue, that he was actually ostracized from the military because of um, his sexuality, and that was part of the psychology of his relationship and his actions and things like that. Mm. Um, and now, I don't quite see how it can yeah, be drawn. It's it's a little bit of a stretch, I think. uh... I think the lesson to take from that sort of argument, though, is that intolerance towards gays and towards anyone else is manifesting in a lot of ways at the moment. And some are very insidious and some are out in the open. Mm. But we should be working out ways to talk about all of them. I think the the thing is, the gay marriage thing is a very concrete and strong way and signal of saying, you know, it's not just about allowing gays to to marry it's about saying you are full you know fully uh accepted members of society and you have every you know the same right as everyone else so it it doesn't really you don't really need to say there is basically fighting uh homophobia means to trying to affirm homosexuals are uh, shouldn't be ostracized. And s- allowing gays to marry is a way of saying that as well. So I think that's why it, you know, it, it is a valid point to focus on, on that question 
alone, even if it does seem a little bit narrow at times. Yeah. Um, any anyone want, <coughs> wants to defend or expose the the uh, other side's opinion on this? Because I once again I've I've realized that we're very liberal on this show, and we're not even you know acknowledging that maybe there are some. I would have a hard time understanding that there are valid points in on the in the other camp. I think, but anyone cares to you know mention? what they could be i can't what they could be (laughs) um okay i guess the 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 main thing is marriage should be about family and a man and a woman and having children and raising children and stuff like that and the problem is every one of those points is so easily countered that i don't know i mean if uh, if, is is gay adoption allowed in france and and i don't think so Um, uh, we do have it here. here yeah Yes, it is allowed here. Maybe it is. You know, I'm, I'm not even sure. But you know, that's a, a strong uh, argument as well. A lot of people will tell you, well, if you don't have a standard uh, family structure, then the children is going to get are going to get screwed. And if that was true, maybe it would be a valid uh, point against gay marriage. But, but it, the fact is that it's absolutely not. You know, you have we have now a history of. Uh, a few de- decades of seeing what happens when when you know gay people raise children and not only are they usually absolutely you know well raised and happy but they're not even they don't even become gay like it's some sort of infection thing or education thing you know they're they're most i believe gay parents have straight children or and i'm sure they have gay children too but you know it's not so it isn't even that point doesn't really isn't really valid in my opinion. So, right. Anyway. And if you if you could wave a magic wand and somehow make every homosexual on the planet disappear and hopefully go uh, live out the rest of their natural lives on a, a very happy gay planet, um, <laughs> that that the the population would immediately start uh, re-homosexualing itself because most almost every single gay person you've ever known was the product of a heterosexual relationship. Yeah, exactly. All right. Uh, so I guess uh, gay, anti-gay marriage doesn't have a strong uh, voice in the Phidias Club. And for that, dear anti-gay marriage people, we are almost sorry. Um, Facebook. Who wants to talk about the Facebook IPO, which is uh, which was, uh, I believe, we usually try to stay away a little bit from the uh, um, uh, tech, tech topics mm-hmm. in, in this show, but this was definitely more than tech topic. Um, so, yeah, the Facebook IPO finally happened. Biggest tech IPO in the history of tech IPOs. Started at $38, uh, went up a tiny bit, but it didn't pop. It didn't uh, go sh- shot shoot up. And um, right. it it is now a little bit lower, about ten percent. So a lot of people are calling it a bust, and um, they're they're also calling it a, a bust because it is it was clear on the day, which was eight days ago, as we're recording this, it was clear on the day, and it's become more and more clear that there were a lot of shady tricks and bad deals being uh, brought to bear by the people organizing the initial public offering. Yeah. Uh, There's even to, talks of uh, lawsuits. 
there, there, and the thing is, there were talks of lawsuits before the trading started eight days ago. Uh, it, it, it is, uh, it's just an overplaying of the hand that Facebook had to to play. They yeah. they had the opportunity to make a ridiculous fortune in this IPO and do it like everyone else. And in, instead of just doing it like everyone else, they decided to make three or four ridiculous fortunes and they stretched too far with too many, uh, too many organizers, too many people uh, trying to uh, do profiteering along with them. Well, I read a very different analysis. Uh, I think it was uh, – I can't remember which blog it was on. But uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tell you about it in a minute. But first, I want to um, ask Maria and Kerwin if it was also a big deal in their uh, countries. I mean, in France, it was talked about. It wasn't a huge deal. We mentioned it a few times in the, uh, in the news reports. But um, what about you guys? It was quite big here. But uh, we were also advised by, by you know, people who knows – not to buy uh, the stock because uh, it, it was uh, said that it was grossly overvalued uh, mm. compared to what the company actually is bringing in. Yeah, there there was a so lot. It, of it was considered about that. extremely risky. What about you, Kerwin? I think uh, it was big news here, and I think there are people playing all sides of the field. Um, uh, I don't know. There wasn't. It, it seems like in America, it was much more unilaterally. Facebook had stuffed up their chances. Although I guess I'm not sure whether the outcry is that they acted in bad faith or poor taste, or that they didn't make as much money as they ought to have. Uh, if they, you know, if if it's the Facebook, the the private shareholders have made a fortune at the expense of the new. Um, the people who bought into the IPO, uh, I guess I'm not sure if I'm concerned about that because I guess I feel maybe more fool them. Yeah, um, yeah, that's basically what the, the. I'm very sorry, I don't remember who who made that analysis, but a lot of people don't sort of misunderstand uh, by what he's saying uh, the purpose of an IPO. Um, mm. The people who speculate are the ones who got screwed because people wanted to buy stock at $38, which was the the introduction price, and they were hoping for it to pop and to go to, I don't know, 45 50 maybe more, and yeah. sell it within a few hours or maybe a day. Yeah, and that I- didn't happen. And the, and, and the purpose of the IPO isn't to make money for people who are speculating. The purpose is for the company to raise as much capital as it can. So the game is to try and set the price of their uh, shares to the biggest level, the biggest amount that the market can bear. And if they do that in a very, you know, accurate way, then the stock is not going to, bur- to, to pop. They are going to sell it for as much as the, the, the market is going to pay for it. And given that, it's not going to go higher. And they are going to rake in as much money as they can. And if it does go back down after that, it's not really their problem anymore. They've already gotten the, the, all the money that they could get. Um, so after that, it's shareholders that are going to get a little bit screwed. And certainly within, you know, 
six months, a year, ten years, this becomes important again. But a lot of people expect the stock to be down to twenty, fifteen dollars in six months. And at that point, Facebook really doesn't care all that much. Later, it's going to become important again, as I was saying. But uh, I thought that analysis was very interesting. Uh, it, it wasn't discussed in such great lengths in, in, in France. But uh, yeah, so for for speculators, yeah, it wasn't a great deal. But for Facebook, they did as well as they could have hoped for. It went great for them. Uh, no, you can you can refer to speculation as a bad idea as much as you want. Uh, sorry, that's about, not what I was doing. I, I'm, I'm I know, just I know, saying that I'm, the people who are who the people who are pissed off are the ones who are the speculators. You know, right. which is a different and, and, story and, than the the, the but, but success of the, the IPO. The the point I want to make is that they're speculating. They're buying that IPO in the first minute it's available. On they're speculating in a regulated market. And they're speculating based on certain facts that are being disclosed about that security. And if those facts are in dispute, if the method by which those facts were disclosed is in dispute, if the regulations of the market were broken by any parties, then they have a case that there is foul play. And, Agreed. And in, yeah. this, in this particular case – there is so much rumor, maybe not a lot of evidence, but there's so much more rumor of foul play than than we've seen in a long time. Yeah. It's it's really spectacular. Yeah, I, I agree. I'm just, you know, trying to set because a lot of people have been saying the Facebook IPO was botched and it was, you know, it was a a, a, a failure for Facebook. I'm just trying it, to to say I don't think it was a failure. They got as much money. They raised as much capital, capital as they could have hoped for, obviously. It, it, but it, it was botched. And the, the, the simple way to look at that is if Facebook had IP, Facebook closed yesterday at over $31. So it, it has lost $2.5 billion in market capitalization in the last mm-hmm. week. But it hasn't if, lost any money. Right. But I'm saying if Facebook had IPO'd at $30 – Eight days ago, not only would Facebook have still made an insane amount of money and cap- capitalized on an incredible, uh, you know, uh, uptick in, in brand value and so forth, but we wouldn't be talking about it in any negative terms, right? I'm now. not sure Facebook cares. You're saying they <laughs> they they could have made you know thirty dollars per share or thirty eight dollars per share. Obviously, they they want to make thirty eight dollars per share. You know, it's it's thirty percent more. I think they want thirty percent more money in their safes to to be able to function and buy companies. And you know, right? If I, I don't know, I don't know, I, I don't know what the answer to that question will be six months from now. If, yeah, maybe if it has, you know, if it's continued to fall and they've <coughs> continued to to lose value and so forth. I think it's going to continue to fall. It's going to take a long time before Facebook can prove that it has a, a, a you know, a model that can sustain such a high market cap. But uh, that's that's a little bit far from the from the topic of the right. Know, it it the was a topic. huge topic of the month of April yeah. 2012 for sure. Okay, Maria, do you yeah. want a uh, a few words about Facebook, or do you not care about their market cap? 
Maria has stepped uh, away. <laughs> Maria is back. Maria has just come back. Did okay. you see my message? <laughs> okay. No, I didn't. Uh, but uh, it, uh, yes, very interesting. Okay, let's very move Very interesting stuff, guys. <laughs> what were you doing? Baby stuff again? <sighs> Babies. Seriously. Yes. Okay. Um, okay. What were we going to talk about? Cheng Wan Cheng. Uh, Randy, you wanted right. to touch on that. Uh, definitely one of the biggest stories in the United States, and I'm guessing in the yes. free press part of uh, ch- China and the the regions around China. That's purely a guess. Uh, but in in North America, a uh, huge story. Late April, the uh, now famous. Oh, good, good. Uh, uh, in late April, the now famous Chinese. Uh, dissident uh, civil rights activist uh, Chen Guangcheng, which a lot of Americans just know as the blind Chinese activist. Um, <laughs> he uh, he had been uh, living in uh, in at home detention for years uh, after uh, after being in prison. Uh, the Chinese had. Uh, a a pretty verifiable history of uh, this house arrest being violent, being uh, you know his family being persecuted constantly for years and years. In the middle of the night, late April, he f- slipped over the wall, uh, which is j- I, I love the idea of a blind man escaping a prison. <laughs> that just I love that, and a lot of people do. Uh, he slipped over the wall, made it to uh, a whole network. Of, of activists got him all the way to uh, Beijing, uh, and then he found his way possibly into the United States Embassy in China. That's not being confirmed still, right? Yes, it has not been confirmed, although you have to wonder really? when someone suddenly starts posting on YouTube where they're doing it from, if not the United States Embassy <laughs> in China. Uh, he, it, it's, it would be a lot of fun if we had found out that he was in the French embassy or some, you know, someplace <laughs> you never expect, right? But, I um, didn't realize that went unconfirmed. I thought it was taken for granted that that's where he was. I think everyone oh, yeah, that's how the Swedish media put it as well. Oh, okay. Well, maybe it was. Yeah, yeah it's possible. I, I have, I have never seen any, any firm confirmation. It, I will, I will guarantee you that if, his initial sort of uh, amnesty was granted in uh, – I will guarantee you it was granted in someone's embassy. <laughs> I, I, you know, I, will, I, I will bet you he was not in a Chinese hotel room is what I'm saying. <laughs> um, and I will bet you Probably he went not. through the U.S. embassy. I know he went. I mean, there's a picture of him uh, walking out of the U.S. embassy with a, uh, a U.S. diplomat named Kurt Campbell. Um, so uh, from there, he was able to start uh, getting a much wider audience on his activism. And he, has, uh, he basically sat and portrayed China, especially rural China, as being absolutely no different than it was under Mao, as, as being a police state where people are brutally treated by the state for any reason or no reason, any time, and live in fear and terror. And uh, the United States felt like they had to get him out because it, keeping him in the U.S. Embassy in Beijing was untenable. 
and so the you know the discussions were um, were very straightforward. Uh, what what can we do to keep the Chinese government saving some face on this? Um, so, uh, sorry, sorry to interrupt, Randy. Were these his uh, uh, his message? Was it shown in the U.S. media? Because we only heard, you know, he's a dissident, but we didn't see what he was doing. Did you guys see it in the in the media? No. I, so how do again, you know? as I've well, because I've read all of the, you know, I've read his his story very carefully. I've followed all of the the links uh, on Wikipedia from his Wikipedia article and so forth. Uh, in the U.S. media, you have hello. Because, you know, Hillary Rodham Clinton today, the uh, the uh, Secretary of State approved the uh, you know the the travel of a Chinese dissident from China to the United States, and now they're just trying to work out the details to get him out of China without China exploding, and uh, that's it. You know, you don't you really right. don't get a lot of detail. Yeah, in that's the US. that's what we got too. It was basically that level of detail. Um, a, a, a lot of the best details. Are uh, you know come from people who translated uh, YouTube videos and uh, y you know from uh, news sources that are I don't want to say left wing but a, a little more in depth in the United States and and go to to great detail. The New York Times eventually ran a full expose on on him and his story yeah. and. Uh, and then, uh, like I say, on uh, the twentieth, uh, the nineteenth and twentieth of May, he managed to uh, board a plane, get a visa to visit the United States, uh, and went to New York City. Right. Well, that that was basically it was a much even bigger story, I think, uh, here because we followed the, you know, when he left the embassy, whichever one he was in. Uh, <laughs> He he actually went back home and at first said everything is okay, everything's fine, and then he was saying actually it's not. I'm afraid for my life right. and my family. And right, and, his you know, his initial his initial goal was not to leave the country. Yeah. His initial goal was just to get some focus on his his problem of his family being beaten all the time. Right, and you know I mean, <coughs> the, the, he he told a story about how the police had come in at one point. In, where he was living in house under house arrest, the police had just come in and taken all of his kids' toys, and just taken <laughs> the toys. <laughs> I'm and sorry, I shouldn't laugh. It's really terrible. Well, but you're not it, a it, parent, Pat. Yeah. Yeah, no, I know, but horrible. it's like no, but imagine. I know, but you know, it's like the police comes in and it's like, oh, take the transformers, or I'm sure you know the transformers <laughs> are not the Chinese kids are not going to play with transformers, but okay. Anyway, okay. So, um, so yeah, yeah. So originally, all he wanted was a normal life. He was he was promising chi China he would not be an activist. He would yeah. not do anything public. Just give me a normal life back. Yeah. And they sort of said okay. <laughs> and then and he, then they, you know, he yeah. went back to his family and found out it was not okay. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so obviously it was a big story here. Um, quickly, Marie and, and Kerwin, same for you guys. 
Oh yeah, this is such a perfect story, isn't it? He's blind and he is doing all these good things, and uh, you know, good versus evil. This is uh, <laughs> uh, I, I found more than three hundred articles in Swedish magazines yeah. about this. Same in the UK. Uh, yeah, it was a big story here. I mean, the, the one thought I've been having about it is I, f- I found it funny how the solution uh, to his problem is to give him a fellowship uh, in a U.S. university where he can make even more noise against the Chinese. It's, I guess it's sort of funny that the Chinese think that's an acceptable solution. I guess, yeah. Well, I think if he's in the U.S., the, he's the, the thing outside is outside the great firewall of yeah China. exactly i mean he's not he, there, you have a lot of people outside of china who are you know denouncing the chinese regime yeah. and it's not the same when you're in the country i'm sure so there there's also the fact the chinese claim that keeping him under house arrest was costing them a fortune which uh, you know so they've alleviated themselves of that cost and i yeah. i just can't fully understand they they said something like that they had spent 10 million dollars imprisoning this guy over the last few years and that is just ludicrous to me why why wouldn't the solution just be to leave him alone just cut him off so he can't if you if you're going to exercise that police power to keep someone from from influencing others then do that but how does it cost so much money well, Randy, when you have your own, you know, despotic <laughs> regime and you have to deal with dissidents, we'll see how, how you deal with them. I think maybe China considers it money well spent for, for one reason, and, and that is that uh, he, is, he is depicting that country that, and that country's leadership and politics as absolutely awful his his depiction of what he has suffered and what they are capable of and doing constantly to their populace it is uh, is african dictatorship level mm. stuff and right. and i think that i think that china may have miscalculated here i think yeah. uh he I, I think he may uh he may open some some doors and windows to something that that they don't really want the rest of the world to see. Hmm. Interesting. Well, uh, I guess we'll see what happens in the next few months and years. Um, let's move on to our local stories. I think I've talked about mine, which is the French elections. Um, uh, anyone else wants to add something to their local stuff? Uh, Kerwin, you mentioned local elections. Well, yeah, there were local elections, you know, mayoral elections across the UK or, or local councils and things like that, uh, which was in most of the country, uh, it was a huge swing against the conservative government that's in power. But the interesting race for me, obviously, was the one in London where we have two almost two political celebrities running for mayor where there was... Uh, um, Ken Livingston was the Labour candidate. Boris Johnson, this very blonde mop-haired fellow, was the was the Tory, and he uh, they were both um, they both running the previous election. So it's a repeat of the previous election where Boris Johnson won, uh, and Ken Livingston this time he's probably in his seventies. I think he was getting a bit too old, but I guess the so out the, with the old guy. 
well, no, it's the old guy was already out last time, and it's like he didn't get the message, so let's make sure he doesn't <laughs> win again. It's, uh, the, 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 the funny thing for the election for me was how underwhelmed everyone was by both of the candidates in the sense that uh, Boris Johnson, all he seemed to have done in the last few years is to um, put public bikes in, which are basically a... Um, <laughs> You know, a yeah, we have I think a light version of what you got. In, it's yeah. well, it's Paris was definitely one of the first big ones, and it was a very much watered down version of what happened in Paris. I think Paris started with fourteen thousand bikes, and London, which is the same size, started with about six thousand. Mm. Uh, the other thing he did was he made a huge fuss about. I'm sure people around the world know the iconic Route Master is the is the. Hello. Oh. oh, what a horrible, what a horrible moment. Yeah, it's terrible. I, I really wanted what everyone, to know what everyone knew. The, uh, the, I think, oh. I think the, uh, the British government finally stepped in and shut down Kerwin. He was about to say something too controversial. <laughs> I was, I was just about to agree with Kerwin. Uh, uh, I guess, I guess, uh, Patrick, you'll you'll want to go back and edit out this. Oh, it's fine. Don't worry. We'll we'll you know this is a family show. I mean, it, it's an easy uh, going, not very strict show. Um, yeah. Okay. Well, Kerwin doesn't seem to be coming back. We'll we'll wait for him. But uh, in the meantime, let's uh, move on to Randy. Uh, you wanted to talk about a uh, subject which is dear to my heart, um, <laughs> I, and I'm curious why you're making it your your full local story. Um, well, because I I live close to Hollywood. Oh, um, okay, fair enough. You know, I mean, Go relative ahead. to the rest of the world, I live close to Hollywood. Uh, so the, the month the month of May was the yeah show, the release of the Avengers the the film that. Uh, Everyone expected to be a large film, a film that that you know did well at the box office that that drew large crowds. But I don't think anyone I I heard uh, or read expected that this uh, this movie would be the biggest film of all time. It's oh, really is it? phenomenal. Uh, it's definitely on pace uh, as far as its first week and weeks go. Yes. Hmm. Interesting. Um, I've certainly contributed to that because I I didn't really think um, I I didn't really think it, I would I was going to love it. I mean, I was hoping I was going to love it, but I didn't know. And uh, I've seen it three times, so I really liked it <laughs> in the end. As of yesterday, in the United States, the Avengers has grossed more than five hundred million dollars. Jesus! Well, that's Joss Whedon. That's Joss Whedon for you. He is. We- <laughs> no, it isn't. I I couldn't agree more. I love your Sweden, and I think this is amazing. Yes. But I haven't seen the movie yet. What? And I very much look forward to it. I just need a babysitter. <laughs> Anyone mind coming over? Oh, <laughs> well, we can hear Kerwin again. Yeah. Oh, he's back. You can. Yes. Hello. Yes. Amazing. I'm back. Yay. What was uh, I talking about? I think I was just, you know, praising the conservative government and Boris Johnson and long may they reign, right? Right? That's yes, what I was right, saying. Exactly. Right. I, I was I, I was I was going to agree with you and say that you know Ken Livingston has uh 
has done something crazy in that there are only two minor politicians in England that get get named regularly on this side of the Atlantic, and that's <laughs> Ken Livingston and Ann Whittacombe. And uh, it it just I, I I am amazed that someone can can break that barrier uh, when they do. So he he must be truly crazy. Well, I'm going to tell you, um, we don't really uh, have any. We didn't really have any uh, uh, reporting on the local elections, so uh, there, we don't care about the UK. Um, <laughs> and we've moved on to superheroes. Okay. That's right, Kerwin. Have you seen the Avengers? I could hardly have been aware that the movie was coming out. Tell me about it. These well, Avengers. I'm, what did I'm they not, do? I'm not going to tell you about it because uh, we've discussed it at length in uh, the Movielicious. So I will invite any person interested in um, uh, Nicole Spaggs, uh, Terpster, and mine assessment of the Avengers to go listen to that show. Um, but I will say, uh, I will tell Randy that I believe it is indeed Joss Whedon's work. Uh, and the reason why it is so successful uh, is Joss Whedon, uh, which I I think you were disagreeing with. Uh, I was disagreeing with setting the surprise of success against Joss Whedon. I, it is a huge surprise that, that yes. he has been successful here. And the thing is, it, uh, yeah, no, I agree with that. But I think the movie would have been suc- somewhat successful anyway. But the way Whedon managed to make it funny and not boring and action-packed and so well-balanced as it is, you know, all of these things at the same time without ever having a period of a moment of downtime in a a two-and-a-half-hour movie is, you know, Joss Whedon's, is to Joss Whedon's credit. And had he not been the director on this movie, I think it would have been a lot more akin to maybe Iron Man or, you know, the other Marvel movies, which are okay, they're fun, but they're not really cool, you know, movies that you want to see a couple of times. This one, you do. And I think that's I will be the, I will be the first to say that when this film was announced and we're talking about back when John Favreau had just made the first Iron Man film and yeah. that was such a good movie, I said, gosh, I hope they let John Favreau make Avengers. Yeah. I know they're going to have some other directors and, and filmmakers in on all of the films that led up to it. But I really, really hoped it was John Favreau. And when I heard Joss Whedon, I thought, well, there's an interesting experiment. I wonder just how wrong that will go. <laughs> and I'm, I'm with you. I agree. It's great. It's wonderful and everything. But it's, it was really hard to expect yeah. it to be you know, the biggest second weekend of all time and that sort of thing. No, I agree. I I didn't expect it to go so well. It's just that, you know, seeing it now, I think that knowing what the movie is, I understand that it's Joss Whedon's work that made it like that, right? Mm -hmm. It's not that when they said it's Joss Whedon, I didn't think, oh, it's going to be super awesome and it's going to be what it actually is. I thought, you know, seeing it now, I don't think anyone. I really see Joss Whedon's influence and work in it. Uh, and Kerwin and Maria have not seen it, so. Um, but it's. But been, I will. Okay, Absolutely. okay. But it's been making the. I mean, it's been people have been pretty excited about it in France. 
uh, and it's been working very well. It's been, you know, in the in the uh, top box office uh, spots. Uh, is it the case also in uh, in Sweden and the UK? Again, I think <laughs> I'm the wrong person to ask. <laughs> I'm sure I'll catch some version of it or another in Nigeria. <laughs> well, I will say, <laughs> Kerwin, you're probably part of those people that I would not recommend to go see it. I think it's okay. It's, you know, it's not for you. Uh, if you're not, a, although, you know, Sonia, my fiance, who is absolutely not into superheroes and stuff like that, enjoyed it. So, you know, I was uh, Kerwin. I hope the first thing you do when you get to Lagos is you go watch this movie somewhere. <laughs> All right. Well, there you go. You're, you're leaving tomorrow, right? That's right. Yeah. So last evening in, in you know, civil, in, in the civilized world, what are you doing? Doing the, the, the Phoenix Club. It's appreciated. That's right. Yeah. Uh, Randy, will, will you take us out of here with a uh, funny, weird kicker story in uh, a minute, Max? This is the month we found out about the AOL squatter. There so was that? a guy named Eric Simmons who got a position that was somewat temporary at AOL oh, and right. managed to that. continue to live – uh, because when the temporary position was over, he couldn't afford to uh, stay with friends or anything like that. Managed to continue to live inside AOL's secure, uh, you know, business inside their facility. <laughs> he fed himself with free snacks that the company gave employees. He used the gym and the uh, showers there, and the you know the free soaps and towels that they provided. He slept on couches and, and would change which couch he slept on every night in the hopes that he would not draw the ire of security. He continued to maintain his desk and he continued to work while not getting paid. <laughs> he continued to, to work on the project that had ended that you know he was a, a, a temporary part of. And uh, this went on and on. He was finally outed uh, when he uh, managed to complete something and 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 uh, be a part of a, a, a deal that that made the company some money and this Eric Simmons guy uh, just it, just the strangest thing I it, any of us who work in in uh, the corporate world can can imagine it but can't believe it cannot believe <laughs> that that there could be a guy at the office who's actually living there please tell me they gave him a job Okay, you're not I don't think so. I don't think they did. I really <laughs> I read the story. I fo I followed it a little bit. It was discussed online. I don't think I don't think there was That's a job oh, offer from terrible. it. Oh, That's, I hope he wasn't penalized at least. It would have been well, I don't know how well, they could file a suit or something. But it it would be such a he made huge them money, PR win. They? Yeah, exactly. It was like, well, we realized he's a valuable guy and it would be such a PR win. Why wouldn't they give Ma him a job? Maria, there actually was one little penalty I read about. One night while he was living there, this was back six months ago, apparently a security guard noticed him sleeping on a couch and kicked him out. And, uh, uh, and, took his, and he had a badge and the security guard took his badge and uh and and i think that the story was he took his snacks too or something and <laughs> and uh all he did was 
hang hang out hang around outside until uh, another worker came in and followed them through the door and <laughs> went right back about his routine. Uh, I'm sorry, did you say how long this was going on for? I I I don't think I don't think he ever uh, a couple of months was it? Yeah, he I don't think he specified something other than a period of months. Yeah. Okay. Well, if ever, you know, you get fired from the company you're working at, dear listener, you know what the alternatives are. <laughs> All right. I think that is going to be it for the month. Um, thank you very much, guys, for, for hanging out with me uh, while I'm in my uh, parents' basement. Um, yeah. Do you want to tell us how we can follow your adventures in the coming uh, weeks? For well, Kerwin mainly, since you're going to be traveling in all these exotic places. That's right. So <laughs> everyone can find me on the Global Urbanists, which is simply globalurbanist.com or at globalurbanist on Twitter. Excellent. Thank you, uh, Maria. Where can people follow the uh, incredible adventures of your multiple pregnancies on the web? <laughs> There are more to me than pregnancies, Patrick. <laughs> I must say, but really, uh, I have been Randy really said it, bad you know. posting on social networks lately. But you can find me on Google Plus, of course, and uh, on Google Plus, I'm Maria Moore. And once again, I have to warn people not to Google that. Those, <laughs> yeah, your name, and not to confuse me with some kind of naked lady. I'm the one. Who <laughs> You're the one with clothes on. Okay. <laughs> Excellent. Randy, what about you? Twitter.com slash Randy Deluxe. That hasn't changed, and that voice is music to my ears. Um, for, <laughs> for me, it's uh, not Patrick or Patrick Beja, uh, pretty much everywhere. And uh, that is going to be it. We will be back in a month with hopefully a show that will be just as much fun as this one because I had a very good time. Uh, I hope you, dear listener, uh, had a very good time as well and I hope you will be back in a month for the next show. Until then, we will talk to you soon. That doesn't make sense. Bye! Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.